Hello everyone and welcome to NGF News. My name is Alec and we have Joshua Cheatham here as well. Uh, today, for uh, today's topic of the week, we're going to be talking about navigating the current housing crisis. Um, this will probably most apply to the U.S. perspective and seeing the U.S. Um, housing problems, but a lot of these challenges also are applicable to a lot of um, housing issues happening worldwide as well, such as things like pricing and and housing supply. So a lot of these that we talk about are U.S. related, but can also part will apply um, internationally. So we're going to spend the first like 10 to 15 minutes discussing what's going on um, in 2023, and then and then the probably 10 to 15 minutes discussing what the outlook would look like. So um, just some housekeeping things. Uh, make sure to check our website. Uh, for regular article uploads, um, our social medias, follow them. We're ngf.news uh, on Instagram, and then we will be uploading to our TikToks as well some of our video clips um, from these podcast recordings that are already on YouTube, but we're also going to be doing them on uh, TikTok and Reels as well. So if you don't want to watch the whole video, um, you'll, you could just watch snippets of it. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So. Well, we'll jump right into it yeah so the current housing market as we know in the united states is not doing so hot right now we're at a national 30-year average at about 7.79 percent in interest rates or mortgage rates this is lowering as of recently but it's still in the sevens um home sales have slumped for the third month straight slipping 0.7 percent in all four major u.s regions um and the current Federal Reserve rate range is 5 to 2.25%, 5.5%. And they're looking to lower inflation to about 2%. We're still hovering in the 3% margins. Um, this is 11 months of hikes, as we know. The Fed suggests that terminal fund rates will reach 5.6% by the end of 2025. We're seeing a very large decline in inventory. That's the biggest problem right now is that there's a large decline in inventory the uh mortgage originations have trended downward or upward though that's a good sign from 333 billion to 463 billion but we're still very much behind in the housing market in terms of inventory which is what we will need to get to in order to lower prices especially in terms of rent mm -hmm. And part of the reason why um, there is a limited housing supply is, one, because of the higher interest rates and the higher cost of everything also jacked up the prices of housing. And the second one is um, the limited supply of just the materials needed to build a home and the higher costs associated with that. You know, like a bag of bag of 80-pound uh, concrete at Home Depot used to be like two, three bucks when I remember it, and now it's almost six, seven dollars a bag of eighty-pound concrete mix. So it's it's higher prices like these, and and the price of wood, and the price of even labor itself, because now you have contractors that need to raise their prices in order to to fuel their equipment, uh, buy the supplies they need. Some contract off to other um, other businesses. So all these turn into a house where it will cost you four hundred something thousand dollars, and that is the almost near average for august 2023 where the average home price was at 416,000 which was 100,000 more than in uh, 2020 so imagine a house it, to just to buy a house you know a regular 3 3 bedroom 2 bathroom ranch a good amount of square feet like a regular house for a, for a, a normal family 
to run you four hundred and sixteen thousand in in the good neighborhood. Yep. It's yeah. uh it's it's low and uh just to show how low it is, the inventory is forty six percent below historical national <laughs> averages. Forty six percent the uh, the existing stock in July fell by point nine percent in July. I mean that's that's a time where everyone is buying houses is the summertime. So the fact that we're still seeing it slump is not good. They say that the house rate for new homes is four hundred thirty six thousand dollars uh at the end of August of this year, twenty twenty three. Which the housing rate slumped by six point seven percent in that same month. Um and there's another survey um that went out, I think that I read this at Bloomberg, um that said that people living in metro areas need to make $99,600 in order to afford cost of living as a household versus what it was three years ago, which was 52600 So you're talking about a $40,000 difference uh, in order to just basically afford living in a metro area. Yeah, and that's not even to account, like, imagine the rent prices as well. I mean, New York is just un- unspeakable. Yeah. New York yeah. has become such an unspeakable place when it comes to rent prices, and people are feeling the brunt of it. I mean, they're living in literal the size of this room right here for uh, <laughs> like the thousand five hundred I've seen. Like, the, you'll be lucky to get away with like a six and nine hundred dollar apartment and be like half the size of this. Uh, I've seen those like reels and uh, on Instagram people showing off their apartment, and it's just so tiny. And yeah. rat infested, disgusting. I mean, some places don't even have a proper like. There's some apartments where they're so small they don't have a proper like kitchen. So yeah, it's and, and to get a normal sized apartment is going to run you like almost th- two to three thousand dollars in New York City. So it's part of, because of higher inflation, higher cost of living, which is causing these landlords to raise their prices. Um, and some. I would say not all landlords. I would say 50% of landlords are using this time to be greedy and try to get more money off of people. But they also have to take into account certain places like uh, certain places and certain things that have also increased their the reason for their price, such as utilities and other things. For here, for us, for example, in Virginia, um, the, here isn't as expensive for, for living. But if you were to live in Connecticut, for example, if you're living to New York, you know, a lot more expensive. Here, utilities yeah. for the month that we're, what we're paying is about 160 bucks, almost roughly. Roughly. Yeah, and the rent for this place specifically is 2,900. But we do have about a whole family-sized people living here, so um, it's here. It's relatively more affordable than I would say more metro, more metro areas and and northeast areas. Um, but it it comes down to things like higher taxes, which then put the burden more on landlords to deal with because the state is trying to compensate with uh, to compensate building more housing by raising taxes, which and then leads to the current housing uh, already built needing to jack up their prices. So it's kind of just like a very like it, it's it's a dangerous balancing game that that this housing market has become because we need the money to build and public investment. But where does public investment get that money? They get it from taxes. Landlords brunt, take the brunt of that taxes. Us taxpayers, they we get taken out of that of income tax. 
And most of the time, we don't even see that money. Like I, have, oh, yeah. I have not seen, in in my perspective, I have not seen affordable housing being built with taxpayer money. That's that's <laughs> my hot take. I personally have not seen it. Not in Connecticut. Not in anywhere where I used to live. No, I I don't. I haven't seen it. Me personally, no. It's been private entities that have tried. They are trying their best to build more affordable housing. And what also yeah. caused these high prices is I remember there was this boom back in like 2022 where people were like, oh, we're going to utilize this time to sell our houses and make a crap ton of money. And people were just buying, uh, selling their house and moving into more expensive uh, areas because they used the high prices to uh, the, the moment where the prices were rising. They were using that time to sell their own homes and go into more expensive homes instead of just staying where they were and just letting the value of their home go increase over time so they kind of use the mo uh, that time in pricing to make more money which and then cut the supply because there was this big boom of wanting to buy because these prices were going up and people were thinking okay well if i buy this home now if i sell my home now i'll get a lot of money and i can move into a, a, a bigger house which and then yep. reduce the supply but then it also increased the number of people that were buying into bigger homes which is, then adds to this uh statistic yeah, no, definitely. And and when you talk about Arlington and, and, and Virginia specifically of being a cheap metropolitan area, I mean, like, there's there's very few of them. Arlington is very warm because if you go across the river, across the bridge in Washington, D.C., you're going to be paying prices that are outrageous for homes that are not worth it or, or, mm -hmm. or apartments that are not worth it. You go across another bridge to Maryland, same thing. Um, very high crime areas as well. But if you're talking about metropolitan areas that are nice and affordable, you have Austin, you have Houston, you got Dallas, you got Arlington, Alexandria. It's not much more because if you talk about the other metropolitan <laughs> areas, and, and I, I mean, I'm not an economist, but if you look at other metropolitan areas from what New York Times and Bloomberg and all of them have put out, San Francisco is expensive, can't live there. Los Angeles, you can't live there. San Diego, can't live there. New York City, can't live there. Boston, you can't live there. Chicago, you can't live there. There And Chicago's not that bad, but it's getting worse. All the major cities where most of the people in America live, by the way, are in the cities I just listed. You're talking roughly 70 to 100 million people who live in the largest and most populated cities or popular cities in America – can't afford to basically live. So you're talking 70 million people who are going to be living paycheck to paycheck already. I mean, we've already seen, everyone's seen the statistics out going out. Let's say 63% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. So housing crisis, there's a lot of issues going on right now that need to be solved, that can be solved. There are so many solutions that we will get to. Uh, just to just just a couple more statistics. Single-family home constructions have dropped by 6.7% in 2023. Um, on the bright side is that permit applications have risen by 2%. Um, but in August of this year, there was a survey that went out by Yahoo Business that said 82% of its respondents that were home buyers put off their plans, saying that they are not going to buy a home at this time. So you're talking a significant market of Americans who just cannot afford to buy a home, and that's a really big issue. Yep. Yeah, it's a really big problem. I not when you're talking about it, and it's like uh, I think of the home 
back in Connecticut across from me um, that was just sold for 420 something thousand and it isn't even that big like it's just not something that would be worth in my eyes 400 and so it's just a small ranch and not a, not not enough land it's just in the suburb area you know 410 or 420,000 it was sold for for three beds two baths yeah it was brand new spanking construction but the land that it sat on and it just didn't seem worth now i'd pay maybe like max 250 for that yeah you know but and plus it needed a lot of work so i i the the price does make sense but i think it's a little too much but of course that agency was accounting for the the increased prices in in building that um to build that home but what also is is really interesting to see is uh, all these big large real estate corporations that are buying up props of land or buying out homes and they're creating this sort of monopoly and that is what the worry is is that these big massive large corporations real estate are wanting to build up their portfolio and make more money but their greed um, to make more money is going to cause expensive homes because if they have a monopoly they could do whatever they want and what does that mean for a small realtor small business owner you're going to get yeah. priced out by those larger corporations you can't outbid them so it's yeah. unfair to small business owners and small landlords that want to do business and genuinely want to create lower housing for a profit, of course, because no small business owner wants to work without a profit. That's just how the business realm is. But in return, I'd rather trust a small business owner that I can have a personal connection with. I could see my home being built from A to B. I could see my repairs being done A to B than rather trusting the large a corporation that is going to buy out my entire neighborhood, have a monopoly on the entire neighborhood, and force me to either move out or raise the prices for everybody. So that that is also another one of my biggest concerns. It's in, happening in metro areas as well, where these large corporations are building huge apartment complexes and charging whatever they want for it. Because who's going to stop yeah. them? Nobody. And you, uh, good good news is uh, I saw uh, the other day that there is a current Senate bill that is going to basically ban the hedge funds and large finance companies from buying real estate and buy oh, – not buying real estate, but buying single-family homes. And over the next 10 years, they're going to have to sell them off so that they don't have any in their portfolio, which in my personal opinion, if you are not a real estate company – you should not be having single buying single family homes because you know and we know this through tons of data about how these hedge funds are buying houses in the masses and then in multiple hedge funds and they're setting the prices in the areas that are around a similar price range because they know that all of their competitors are going to set them at that price so there's no competition you're not going to have in one neighborhood a house that's very nice that's going to be the same as a house in another neighborhood that's very nice, but one's not going to be cheaper than the other because they're both in and on it together. They know they're going to have to get a better price. Uh, they're not going to be able to get a better price for it, and families aren't going to be able to get a better price for it. So I hope this bill gets passed. It was introduced, uh, I think, on Monday. So this is an important bill that I hope gets passed to protect people because in the end of the day – if if people can't afford to live, I mean, what's the American dream going to be to to people? You're not going to be able to buy a house. You're not going to be able to have the car and the Princeton yard. You know, the American the American dream. What people talk about when they come here, 
it, it, it's slowly going away. Um, and it could be going away much more rapid mm-hmm. if hedge funds continue to buy up single family homes. Oh, I fully agree. And I don't want that idea of the American dream because that's what yeah. makes the United States, the United States, everyone comes here to pursue the American dream, which is in my eyes, making a lot of money, coming home to a big home, a happy family and a car. You just, you nailed that. But again, we're losing the idea of the American dream, which is in part related to the housing market, which, you know, you put it in that perspective, that's very interesting because the housing market does dictate that American dream, which I never thought of until now, which is interesting, but yeah, um, it's a a big part of it. And, you know, when you go around these neighborhoods, um, you know, take Connecticut, for example, you go around the smaller towns and you see the people coming, working from the cities and they're nice, you know, what or I'm going to call it corporate jobs, but whatever they're doing, they're, they're going back to their nice house because they make a lot of money. But if you live in the city, you know, and you're not going to be making a lot of money, you can't afford to have that dream. I mean, you used to be able to afford that dream being working in construction and working in as an electrician and working at a factory you used to be able to at least afford part of that dream but now you can't afford any of it mm-hmm. and really the outlook for for these for the housing market to recover is very very intricate i mean that to get there overall we need more inventory and we need interest rates to cool and we need the mortgage rates which are in a direct translation of interest rates to go back into the four to five percent range to uh, range to make housing more affordable. And I would argue that four percent is too much. Even I mean, if interest rates way too much, hopefully by twenty twenty end of twenty twenty four can get back down to um, two point three percent. Which I mean, CPI has shown that we're in the three percent, three point four or five percent range of inflation yeah. uh, compared to last year. So. We're we're seeing the decrease of inflation, but the Fed is still wanting to keep interest rates as they are to try to get it down to two percent, um, and then we could see interest rates drop. So we might not see housing of being affordable for 2024 um, unless inflation goes down to two percent by the early 2024, and then interest rates can go back down to a gradual. I think we're at a five. I don't know what we're at five mid for them to go to four mid. And then mortgage rates, which tend to be a little higher than the actual interest rate, which I've seen the interest rate be at five point something percent and mortgage rates will be six point six to seven percent, even higher. I've seen I've seen someone hurt. I've heard nine percent from someone's mortgage. So to see a four or five percent, my guess would be around end of 2024 or the beginning of 2025. That is that is my guess. And by the time interest rates drop, which would be quicker than mortgage rates dropping, we might see uh, more homeowners wanting to do more repairs to their house. We might see um, small businesses, small construction companies want to build up housing um, as a direct response to lower interest rates. They can take out more loans to to buy more materials. Uh, We're hoping that maybe once interest rates drop, the prices of construction materials also drop because then to borrow to build to actually produce a bag of concrete, for example, would also drop as well. So it's a very big domino effect with interest rate being at the top. And then once you start changing something at the very top, it'll be a direct translation of what could happen at the very bottom. So 
We're, we're waiting to see what CPI and uh, the CPI tells us and what our interest rates will look like in the future. Yeah. And another big issue that we're seeing, and this is more of a local level issue, um, some towns have horrible zoning laws. Uh, horrible. That was, my, that was my next talking point. Yeah. Yeah. So bad. So your business, you come in, there's a lot big plot of land. You want to build housing on it, which we desperately need. Um, the town has this rule, let's say, that you cannot build this close to a school or you cannot build this this close to a residential area or this is on pipeline that you can't dig in within like 300 feet of the pipeline. Ridiculous, ridiculous asking questions. And this is this is true in a lot of areas. I know this for a fact that in my old town of Woodbury, Connecticut, that you cannot build on land that is close to any water pipe. Any water pipe within like a 600 to 1,000 foot or that's a 1,000 foot radius. If it's near an, if it's near a water line that's a thousand or a thousand feet close to a water line, you cannot build it. And it's a town. It's not a small town. It's a small town, but it's not like an, a really tiny small town. And we have a lot of rivers. So guess what? We have a lot of pipes that can move to make sure that people get water, which we also have a lot of wells. And you can't build this close to wells. You can't build this close to property, et cetera, et cetera. So we can't build housing. And these, so these rules, if, if we want to be able to meet these demands, we have to get rid of these rules because A, we need single family homes desperately that are uh -huh. affordable. And then B, we need apartments because rent is through the roof. We need to increase that tenfold in both single family homes and apartments in order to fill the need of people that need them. Migrants that are coming in who are seeking asylum and permanent residency that could fill them that need to be filled. Um, so those are things that need to get zoning regulations need to get much more lax in those regards. Oh yeah, and there are willing homeowners that have a lot of land that are willing to build on, within their land that they own. But zoning regulations state you can only build one piece of property on top of an existing piece of land. Now zoning regulations are up to local and state laws. Federal laws are, they don't mandate zoning regulations, but zoning is one of the most biggest red tapes and the most annoying Red days. I, I remember I was trying to build my shelf, my shed from scratch with my dad, and we put it in the far back of our property, way far back, way far back our property, where it's not even visible. But we put it, we we put we didn't build it. We only put the 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 concrete uh posts on the bottom to hold up the 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 building, right next to property line. And then zoning came in and said, oh, you can't do that. But the other person's house where we built it was all uncut trees and nothingness. It's just a forest back there. But because the, yep. the property line is still there, you can't build next to a property line, which then we had to then move it towards the middle. And then now we've wasted land on left and right. It just, it, it's, it doesn't make sense because it's a waste. You're wasting land that could be used for more housing. And second, yeah. you're screwing those small business owners that want to build a property but now have to be very selective in where they choose to build because they don't want to run into zoning regulation problems. And then inspection comes in and says, oh, we got to tear this down. You're blocking 
something when they could be blocking a blade of grass. Like, oh no, you can't touch that blade of grass. Like that's, that's yeah. no big no. Tear tear it all down. Or the most ridiculous I, thing. I love the things. Uh, uh, the times, not the things. The times when you're you're looking at an old map, and this happens a lot with housing. You're looking at an old, outdated map, or a new map that someone just didn't do correctly, and they they're like, okay, we're gonna put the housing here. We're gonna build those apartments or townhouses. There's gonna be ten townhouses, and then they start digging, and then they hit a pipe. And because they didn't do the correct mapping, now they have to pause the housing. This happens a lot in the Midwest. You have to pause the housing developments, and then the and then the local government has to conduct whether or not they can continue to build on land. You've already built six houses. This happens all the time. Six townhomes, and then the government, the local government, comes back and says, "Ah, oh, you can't build here." And that, and so you just ruined the company's chances to build these homes. And now these homes can't even be, these six townhouses that you just built can't even be occupied because it is against zoning regulations. It's utterly ridiculous. Just because you have an old map doesn't mean that you have to kick these people off the land. In fact, build around the pipelines, build around what you had to build or build around what you hit. Just let them do it. As long as it's not a hazard that could hurt or kill the residents, it should not be an issue. Yep. And, and it's the local level inspectors that are such a big hassle. Because I remember I was building a, a thing. You know the thing over my uh, front patio where it's like a yeah. little like roof? You know how yeah. many times we ran into inspection problems with that? They, they came all the time because they had nothing better to do but drive down our road and pick out problems. Whether it be like things we did to our house. Um, the other person that was building a house across the street, inspection would, I don't know why, inspection thinks they can come in to a small business owner and say, oh, you're doing this, this, and this wrong. But when a large corporation comes in and starts building up houses, local level inspection is like, they're doing, they're doing everything right. We don't, we don't see anything wrong. They're, it's, it's the red tape. So the overall theme, what me and Josh were talking about is the, is the red tape within local level and state level laws in building housing which how build people there are people out there that want to build housing there are people that so are willing many. to do it so many but they don't want to deal with the legality issues that come up with building that housing and yeah. if we could just get through these legalities and get through the red tape of getting your permits getting initial inspection Getting a, a ground team to survey the ground, which is part very important. I'm not saying that we don't need a ground team to, to check out and see if there's no pipes or internet wires or whatever going on underneath uh, or gas lines. I just think that the time from you know, build, uh, developing the idea to implementing is way too long. And we way need solutions long. now. And that's part of the problem, that we're, we're causing such a delay for no reason. Yeah. We need to hand out more permits too. I mean, look, look, look at the Midwest, for example. There is so much <laughs> untouched land. It is boggling. So I talked to one of my professors one time, and he has family out in Oklahoma. And to get to the nearest grocery store is an hour drive. An hour drive. That's probably what? If you're going, let's say, out there, they, they drive 50, 60 miles an hour. 60 miles an hour, it's an hour drive. That's about 
It's about 60 miles. It's about a 60-mile drive because yeah. you're going by hour, 60 miles 60 per, miles per hour. hour. yeah. So it's a 60-mile drive. I don't know why that took me so long to do uh, in my head. Yeah, it's a 60-mile oh, drive yeah. just for an hour. 60 miles. What can you do in 60 miles? Millions, thousands of houses, apartments, you know, buildings that they can build. You know, people are like, we don't have enough room in this country to fill people. It's like, yeah, because everybody wants to go to New York City. How about we take the people in New York City and move them and build other suburbs somewhere else? But because of climate change activists, zoning regulations, we cannot do those things. So we need to be able as a as a society recognize a problem try to put other things aside i'm not saying we should build on all the land we have beautiful reservoirs beautiful uh public national parks in this country that should never be touched i'm a thousand percent agreeance with that no problem but as knowing family that i have family who live in the midwest and knowing people who live in the midwest it should not take an hour to get anywhere it really shouldn't. My nearest grocery store in my town is 15 minutes away. No, sorry, seven minutes away. That's you're talking about now. <laughs> yeah, now. Well, not now. Now? Here, it's here. A minute, try. <laughs> yeah, here, here. It's a minute. Here, it's a minute. My in my house, uh, my my parents' house in Connecticut. It's a seven minute drive. So if you're, it, it doesn't have to be that quick. I'm not saying it has to be that quick, but you know, an hour drive is too much. That shows that there's potential land that we could put on. Uh, we could build on because, and I understand there's also farmlands that we can't build on. I understand all these factors, uh, but I can tell you what: there's a shitload of land out there. Excuse my language, there's, but there's a lot of land out there where you can build on, as we can build on as a country, and we need to be able to change those regulations to do so because we have a very big problem. Our population is going to significantly grow because of the amount of immigrants that we're getting and the amount of people that don't want to live in cities anymore. And, and not only that, right? You're having, you're gonna have a lot of businesses that are also gonna prop up, and it goes to the idea of the modernization and the development of the United States, where we have, if you, if I, when you're flying into Dulles, you'll see so much open land in Virginia, oh, so yeah. much open land where it's not even used farmland. It's not being used for anything. But you think to yourself, okay, what if we had a, like another city there? Like, what if like there's a bunch of businesses that open up here? And then there's housing that surround that can put people into that that will make their commute very easy because the business decided to open up there. And now to get people there, people don't want to commute from one point just to get to a building in middle of nowhere. You need housing to surround it. So mm -hmm. as the United States continues to develop, modernize, and we're going to see more cities being propped up. We're going to see buildings being built, I hope at least. Buildings being built in areas you think you wouldn't when you're flying over the United States, and you think to yourself, "Dang, like we could we could build something here. There's not really farm or anything like that." that that's that's what I think. But I hope later yeah. on, like we'll see unused land, like you were saying, actually be used for. Let's say I want to open up an office building, right? Okay, well New York's too crowded and it's too expensive here. Um, you know, whatever. Yeah. Whatever it is, and you want to just locate somewhere else, I think you should totally do so, which then encourages, if you have a very successful business, maybe you can open up a side headquarters somewhere. Yeah. It would McLean, encourage Virginia. building homes. Yeah. McLean, Virginia is a very interesting place, uh, and, and I think it's a good example of how we can look at what ground zero is 
of a brand new city that's being built. McLean wasn't a city. I'm not sure, and I'm not too sure about the full history about it. But by the looks of it, the buildings look pretty brand spanking new. But if you get on the highway and you go into Virginia, it is nothing, 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 city. Nothing, 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 nothing. No housing, just trees, big mansions, that's it. And so I think what that is, it's a good look at what Ground Zero could be, is you have a city with massive, important corporations. You got Deloitte, you got Microsoft, you got Blackstone, you got Capital One that are there that you could build housing around in that area because we have, well, thir- what is it, 20 minutes away, you have Arlington and Alexandria and a couple other cities. But in McLean specifically, there's not much housing except for very, very wealthy people. Right. So I think that's a great way to look at a ground zero type place. And same with Arlington. Arlington's really good because you have the very, you have the city where people work, you have DC, and then you have the housing around it that's affordable because there's a lot of people that work in DC where they, they got to live somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, and then kind of to top this all off, I want to talk about whether or not 2024 would be a good time to buy um, or to wait. In my personal yeah. opinion, I think that people should be prepared to purchase a home and spend the time to save rather than looking to find ways to, to wait for the prices to drop or to actually um, actually or buy a home. I think being prepared um, because you never know what could happen in 2025. Prices might stay the same, which I think these prices are going to stay the same as is. Because in order to deflate these prices, you need deflation in the economy, or you need such like cheap prices. You'll need to see like cement bags back at two, three dollars for you to see like actual affordable housing being built back to the two hundred thousand range. Because the general rule of thumb is once a price goes up, it 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 goes up and it kind of stays there and it doesn't really go back down. So, but it will be with the lower interest rates, it will be much more easier eventually to to buy one of those more expensive homes. But you're yeah. going to put a lot of down payment up because now you, you've increased your price. Your 20% down payment went from being like a couple 10, 20,000 to not needing to put up 40 or 50,000. So I think spending 2024 to be prepared to buy a home um, and, and instead of actively looking to buy a home or waiting for the prices to drop, I think that is the best use of your time for 2024. Looking to rent um, temporarily, sometimes you just have to take that uh, take the take the initiative and and having to rent for a little bit before moving on to a bigger home on your own, um, saving up that money for a down payment because yeah you know you're spending money on rent you could use that rent money to go to a mortgage but you also need to save up for that down payment you don't want to be FHA loans are great in a way to get started but that they're going to come with high interest rates so unless your FHA loan or whatever kind of loan is negotiable in a way where you can then Remore, uh, refinance into a a fixed low interest rate by all means yeah. absolutely do it but if you have a type of loan where it's locked in at a high interest rate and you're a first-time homeowner don't do it uh it, you're gonna screw yourself over unless you're planning to pay that home off earlier and not in the 15 or 30 year fix that you have um but locking in low interest rates was uh mortgage rates was also my next point is waiting for interest rates to drop, um, and then also picking a, a low mortgage and then sticking to that, uh, locking it in 
don't do sometimes they'll make the the, the flexible interest rates more uh good looking to try to convince you to get it by saying oh you, you know it'll be less down payment uh, but your interest rate is going to vary don't never never ever pick the variable interest rates because they will always find a reason to jack up your interest rate and then it will force you to essentially refinance so and also read be careful when you're reading terms and conditions as well when you're signing for a loan um for a yeah home. i definitely agree with those points um now, i'm not a housing sure. or realtor expert this is stuff <laughs> i've learned from people who are in real estate um, yeah so i'm just Again, I like to analyze things. I like to read things, and I like to learn from other people, and then spit that information out, or uh, skew, uh, to send that information out to other people. So that's, yeah, I'm not an expert, yeah. but yeah. No, I definitely agree with those points, and yeah, neither of us are experts, but we do our research and talk to people and do our due diligence. We're also 22 years old as <laughs> yeah. well, 20 or well, 21, so we're also looking and understanding everyone's points right now by paying rent and getting ready to buy homes in the next like you know five years um but for those who are in the market uh my opinion is like alex said do not look to buy a house in 2024 save the money to buy a house in 2025 I think that because of the way that things are trending and because of the nature of how difficult it is to build single-family homes so quickly, as well as large apartments, because they're only building them relatively in metro areas that already have a lot of large apartments. Um, as we, If you go code to Arlington, Virginia, you will see it. Uh, it's fairly difficult, and plus the supply chains are still not at where it was pre-COVID. I would say we're looking towards a mini kind of crash in 2025, mm -hmm. which will essentially lower prices. The, the Fed. The Fed, yeah, will lower prices, and the Fed will be basically forced to lower interest rates. So if you do your due diligence and keep saving as much money as you can, I think 2025 is going to reward a lot of people who are looking for houses because they're also i think going to increase inventory not significantly but uh but a good amount and even if they don't a mini crash is also good because i don't think single family homes are going to increase significantly but i think apartments are going to increase significantly which means rent's going to shrink so you can move somewhere else for a year get a lower rent and then continue to save even more money for when there's a good time or a good house you could buy. And, and for small business owners, uh, small construction owners, small real estate owners, I think it's only fair for anyone involved that is building housing to get the biggest tax breaks um, ever. I think they should be exempt from state, Agreed. local, state, and federal level tax if they are proven to be building houses that they will be sold under mar average market price. An average market price is $416,000 as of August. So if you're building a home and you're reselling for under $416,000, I think it's only fair that you, you get tax breaks. Because not yeah. only are you uh, building houses under market value, you're propping up the inventory, which is then going to cause more competition, which is then is going to lead to more people wanting to build homes. And then you're going to have more housing and then more competition. And then when you increase the supply... The demand goes down, and you have less, uh, and the and the home costs less. So, I think there should be some sort of incentive and tax break for for homeowner uh, for home builders, um, and for people who let's say are first time homeowners, right? I think they should be 
having a system where you have a zero percent interest rate for the first month, uh, not for the first month, for the for the whole for the first year, and then little to no interest on let's say if you're a home builder or a real estate company, a small real estate company, you should also get some sort of interest rate kind of you know incentive. So yeah. I think we should see more incentives and tax break from from policy wise um, to kind of prop up some some inventory. Yeah, no, I hundred percent agree with all those points. So, but I think uh, I think I ran out of things to say. Um, yeah. Cool. So well, thank longer you all than for... expected. Huh? Longer oh, than yeah, expected. Oh yeah, this was a little longer, but there's actually a lot yeah. to talk about. So. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So thank you all for listening into uh, this week's topic of the week. We hope you enjoy, and we do like to see more engagement from our viewers. We want you all to critique what we're saying. We all want you all to comment to talk about what you feel, what you've seen. So because this not only we get to see what the your perspective is, but we can also talk about it um on, on our podcast as well because our goal is to boost uh engagement from our audience and to and to talk about what people what real people are, are going through because media has a problem where they're not really seeing the perspective of an individual. So that's what we're trying to do is try to get your perspective. So please comment on our posts on social media. I think you can leave ratings on these podcasts on Spotify, if I'm not mistaken. Comment on our YouTube. Let us know how we're doing. Leave your thoughts. And we will. Yeah. We do read them. We do read them. I'm not saying we don't. We do. And we actually, we write them down and so we can use them as content for our podcast. Yeah, and we'd, we'd love to establish just a dialogue with our, uh, our viewers. It would be great because, like Alex said, you know, the – regular people and, and and the average American is not heard in the media. You know, when the headlines are Meghan Markle getting chased by paparazzi, <laughs> I will continue to use that. Um, it's not, yeah, it's, it's not speaking to the average American and the average person in this world. So, yeah, I agree. So yeah, see you all in the next one.